how do we approach church giving? I came across another parable of sorts where these two men were trapped on a deserted island somewhere. They had been shipwrecked or their plane went down. It really doesn't matter. I'm sure it's not true anyway. And one of them is desperate to try and find shelter and food and all of these things. And the other is just kind of out sunbathing and enjoying this beautiful spot that they find themselves in. And the one first guy says to the second, how can you do this? I mean, aren't you afraid we're going to die out here? And he says, no, I make about $100,000 a week and I return a faithful tithe. I know my pastor will find me. (laughs) I don't know. How do we approach church giving? How do we determine what to give, when to give, how much to give, what's appropriate? In fact, somebody told me at the back door, you know, God is faithful. And if you give too much, he'll return it. Is that true? We're going to look at that a little bit today. Uh, Last time we talked about returning a faithful tithe. And at the core of this is really in God we trust. Do we trust God with our gifts, with our giving? We talked last time about several things, how God owns everything because he created it. We looked at that. We also looked how the tithe, the Sabbath, how our bodies are all holy to the Lord. They're set apart for a holy purpose. To give our means, our time, and our life helps us remember that it's all His, right? It all belongs to Him. We talked last time about how we bring the tithes to the storehouse to support the spread of the gospel. And when this gospel is preached throughout the world, then the end will come. And that's exactly what the tithe dollar goes to. We talked about how tithing goes all the way back to Abraham and Jacob and was supported by Jesus and Paul and and so many others throughout Scripture. How we're to give our first fruits to God at the first part, as soon as we get the paycheck. And sometimes people ask, well, do we pay the net or the gross? Meaning, is this before or after taxes and all these things are taken out? Again, that's a decision for you to make. I would propose and submit to you that the taxes that you pay, you're benefiting from. How many of you drove on nice paved roads and on the interstate? If your fire goes up in smoke, is the fire department going to come? And all these types of things. We benefit, don't we, by living in this country. And so I'd say tithe the whole thing. We talked about how God's startling promise to return a faithful tithe, an honest tithe, and the Lord says he will pour out blessings upon us. And we had this incredible testimony by Ruth Stewart this last Sabbath. Uh, how she was just anxiously hanging on to that last $100. It was tithe money, but she knew that was her only means for groceries and gas for the upcoming week. She'd get nothing coming in. It really wasn't so much with a cheerful heart, but because she knew it was the right thing to do, she put it in the plate, and she was a little bit frustrated, but she claimed the verse, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and just a few days later, a card came in the mail, and it wasn't just that it had money, but it had the verse that the Lord had brought to her earlier, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. And so it truly is, in God we trust, or maybe not so much. And that's what we're continuing to look at today. And before we move on from tithes to offerings, I wanted to look at a few other things we didn't have time to look at last time. But you may be aware, some of our country's greatest business leaders have put God's plan of tithing to the test. And they all have testimonies, if you will. Uh, William Colgate, uh, builder of the Colgate Palmolive Company, eventually gave 90% of his profit to the Lord. John D. Rockefeller, founder of Standard Oil Company, first billionaire, was a tither. Henry John Hines, the 57 varieties of pickles and ketchup, he was a tither. 
James Cash Penny, founder of J.C. Penny, he returned a faithful tithe. Henry Crowell, founder of Quaker Oats Company, returned a faithful tithe. James L. Kraft, founder of the Kraft Cheese Company, gave 25% of his earnings. Uh, But all these men will tell you, if I wasn't faithful in returning the tithe on the first dollar I made, I wouldn't have been able to return it on the million or above that I made after that. And so it's a principle that we need to apply to life. I guess there's a few others here. Milton S. Hershey, some of you know him quite well, founder of the largest chocolate factory. Anthony Rossi, I think if I'm saying it right, right, founder of Tropicana. And then our very own O.D. McKee, founder of Little Debbie Snack Cakes. When I worked for one of the McKees, I had a, I guess it was for spreading mulch. Anybody spread mulch uh, this past week? It's that time of year. And there was a big pitchfork that had on the handle, it was kind of carved in there and with red letters, O.D. McKee. And I used to spread mulch with that pitchfork. And I thought, man, I better be careful with this thing. It really should be in a museum. But he was a faithful tither. In fact, he keeps and kept, I should say, and the, the company keeps the Sabbath. They don't send trucks out from Friday night to Saturday night. So another question, can I give my tithe to just any ministry? And I want to spend a few moments looking at that. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God referring to his house or his temple or his church. I think that's different than just any ministry. Continuing here in Numbers 18.21, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meaning. Deuteronomy 12, 5 and 6, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Now, the burnt offerings were sin offerings for forgiveness, and the heave offerings were first fruits, and it speaks of the tithe, and the vow is, is I've made a pledge, a promise to something, and then free will offerings as well. But tithe, we have specifically throughout Scripture, is to come back to the storehouse, God's church. Continuing in chapter 12, verse 8 of Deuteronomy, you shall not do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Sometimes we see that, well, I'm going to give my tithe over here, I'm going to give it over there. But God's saying, you are not to do that. Take heed to yourself. You do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. And one of your tribes, that was the tribe of Levi, the priests, there you shall offer burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. I refer to the council above as the law of the central storehouse. God did not plan that everyone would do what was right in his own eyes, as we just read, but he had a specific and organized plan for funding the gospel ministry, and he expected his people to follow it. Scripture outlines God's means to support the work through his treasury, and we see that there in Scripture. Now, there are a lot of independent, or we could say supporting ministries of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, right? And we could put a few of them up here on the screen. We have 3ABN, we have GYC, we have Amazing Facts, Quiet Hour, AFM, Adventist Frontier Missions, It Is Written, Audioverse, uh, Maranatha Volunteers International, White Horse Media Ministry, Hope Channel, you get the idea, Voice of Prophecy, Amazing Discovery. All of these are supporting ministries of the church, and they have their place to support, right? 
but never are we to support these ministries with our tithe dollars. In fact, these ministries themselves will tell you that very thing. They're doing a good work, they're supporting the work, they're preaching the three angels' message, but it is different. In fact, they're, you know, if something were to happen to you and you find yourself in the hospital, if you want to be anointed, if you want to be baptized or married, or a funeral needs to take place, if you need encouragement, if you need one-on-one Bible studies, these supporting ministries, it's a one-way form of communication, isn't it? They're not going to be there for you. The church as a whole will not be there for you through these ministries. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I love these ministries. I've supported many of these ministries if not most, but I don't support them with my tithe because that is not my money. It is holy unto the Lord and needs to be returned to the the storehouse and to the means that he has set aside. But if we look at the percentage of Adventists who gave tithe to various causes, it looks something like this. 51% gave to local church budget. Now, what is local church budget? Well, it, it functions for a lot of things. All the ministries that go on in this church come out of the local church budget. So whether that's evangelism, whether that's the Daniel Fast, whether that's keeping the lights on, whether that's Pathfinders, of course they do a lot of their own fundraising and are quite successful at that. But all these things come out of the local church budget, right? And so our tithe dollars, those all, when they are turned in here, they go back to the conference that is the official storehouse and distributed to the pastors and Bible teachers throughout the conference. But Sadly, many people don't do that. I wonder, though, what would happen and what could take place if everybody returned their honest tithe as tithe in the local church. It says here, bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Notice it says the storehouse, not any storehouse or a storehouse, but the storehouse. For Seventh-day Adventists, this was one of the primary reasons for church organization. Yes, we believe in total member involvement, everybody doing something for Jesus, that is true. But does that mean anybody and everybody can collect tithe? Does that mean I can keep my tithe because I have a special pet project that I want to do? Uh, And that's not the counsel that we find. Testimony of the Ministers, page 26, it says, As our numbers increase, it was evident that without some form of organization, there would be great confusion. Couldn't we agree on that? There would be great confusion. The work would not be carried forward successfully. To provide for the support of the ministry, for carrying the work in new fields, for protecting both the church and the ministry from unworthy members, from holding church property, for the publication of truth through the press, and for many other objects, organization was indispensable. And so that was the big reason of us coming together and organizing as a church, even though there was a lot of controversy over that. They thought the organized church was Babylon and so on, but eventually that's where the Lord led. So here's our working policy It said it is recognized that the local church level of denominational organization is the storehouse to which all the tithes should be sent and from which the gospel ministry is supported. For the convenience of church members, the tithe is turned into the local conference through the local church where membership is held. After much study of scripture, after much discussion, this is what was decided on. The local conference is the storehouse. And I believe after looking at a lot of other systems out there, I believe this is a superior system than the most biblical system that's out there in regards to returning tithe. Another question you might have, what about when the conference is doing things that I don't agree with? Have you ever had that question before? You know, I was returning a faithful tithe, but then the conference decided to do something that just really irked me. I didn't feel like it was right. I didn't think that they should have done that. And so I'm giving my tithe somewhere else. Have you ever heard anybody make that speech before? 
Well, we need to remember this verse again. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock, of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to who? To the Lord. To return an honest tithe is unto the Lord, not unto the conference, not unto the pastor, not unto any man. It's returning it unto the Lord. It is his. And let's be clear, God is big enough to handle his own resources, right? It is not up to me to decide, well, I needed to go here or I needed to go there or I'm not going to trust this person or trust that person. No, I'm returning it to the church. The church is entrusted and is being led by God and I'm going to allow him to deal with whatever inconsistencies may come up. From time to time, people will send their tithe directly to the general conference and they'll get a, a letter to this effect saying, no, that needs to be returned to your local conference, to your local church, and that's how that needs to be done, because it is holy unto the Lord. Here's some advice from Testimonies 249. Some have been dissatisfied and have said, I will no longer pay my tithe, for I have no confidence in the way things are managed in the, at the heart of the work. But will you rob God because you think the management of the work is not right? It doesn't say, will you rob the church? It doesn't say, will you rob the conference? It says, will you rob God, right? So does that mean I need to just leave it and let the, the conference do all these crazy wish-washy things that shouldn't be done and we have counsel against and so on and so forth? No, she gives us continuing on more counsel about that. Make your complaint plainly and openly in the right spirit to the proper ones. It's a lot there that we could learn from. Plainly, openly, right spirit to the proper ones. Send in your petitions for things to be adjusted, set in order, but do not withdraw from the work of God and prove unfaithful because others are not doing right. I think that's good counsel for us. Don't you yourself be guilty of robbing God uh, because of something else that you see taking place. Another question, what about back tithe? What is expected of me? This is an interesting question. Well, I would submit something like this. Well, if the concept to tithe or is brand new to you, you just learned it last week, this week, whatever time, then I would say start tithing. Where do we begin? Right where we are, right? However, I think perhaps there's some occasions where we've known better and our faith has waned and we have not returned as we should have. And I think in those situations, I mean, let's, let's flip it around. If I owed you a sum of money, but I reneged on that deal and I didn't pay it, you technically could take me to court or you could, you know, and the, the judge could rule I need to pay it and maybe even with interest and some of those kinds of things. And so oftentimes out in the world, we honor our debts. In fact, there's probably many people here paying debt with interest. But when it comes to God, oh, he's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. It's not going to matter. I'll let it go. And I suppose that could be done, but I think it'd be better to treat the Lord with the same dignity that we treat one another in our business transactions, don't you think? So if we have neglected in the past year, maybe we need to sit down and figure out, probably won't take too long, what do I need to do to make things right? I don't want this standing against me. In fact, other people uh, approached Ellen White and she gave this counsel to them. She said, concerning the back tithe, one individual was, was behind two years. Her advice Write the treasurer a note of what you owe and make things right. That only seems to make sense. Now, you may not like her counsel on that. I suppose you could follow the counsel of Zac Zacchaeus. He said, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And what does Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house. Does that mean Zacchaeus was buying his way into heaven? No. It meant that his heart 
was now fully surrendered to the Lord and he wanted to do what was right. Please and honor God. God doesn't need our money. He never needs our money, but he desires our hearts, right? Has anybody ever thought this? Oh no, another offering appeal. I guess it starts young. But friends, offerings are our opportunity to show our gratitude and our thankfulness to God, right? What's the difference between tithes and offerings, you might say? Well, here's a few quotes from very well-known, famous people. Offerings are about generosity and gratitude. Tithing is a matter of honesty. And this was said by Ed Reed, somebody I like to listen to. So offerings are generosity and gratitude. Tithing is a matter of honesty. This one is from, uh, I believe it's Charles Spurgeon. Give as you love and measure your love by your gift. Isn't that good? Here's another clever one. I tithe because God is God. I give offerings because God is good. Trying to remember the famous person. Oh, Pastor Brian Hyman. (laughs) Isn't that clever? I said, man, I got to write that down. I hope I got it right. Psalm 96, 8 says, Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Deuteronomy 16, 17, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessings of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Give as you're able, it says. So when the Lord blesses us, our thankful hearts lead us to ask, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me. It's a way of us saying thank you. So if you're returning an honest tithe, that's nice, but do you not have anything to be thankful for? Has the Lord not blessed you in any way? And if he has, bring an appropriate offering. Which is more important, the amount or the attitude? Hopefully you can answer that one without looking at any verses. Second Corinthians 9, 7, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves what kind? A cheerful giver. If you're sitting there frustrated and upset that here we go again, the church is asking for more money, please don't give. I mean that. If you are begrudging something, if you are frustrated about something, if you say, man, oh man, and grumble, grumble, don't give. Keep it. But if the Lord has touched your heart, and if you are thankful for something, give a gift. I mean, how many options do we have for gifts to be given? I mean, everything else beyond the tithe is is up to you to choose where to give the gift. Now, we choose, Elizabeth and I, to give systematically to church budget because that is what allows us to do what we do here. And I feel very strongly about what we do here. And so we want to give to that. But again, that's up to us based on how we feel. Here's another one. He, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a poor widow putting in two mites. That's almost nothing. So he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all, for these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. I mean, doesn't that answer the question? It's the attitude with which we give. Are we bringing God our best? Or just the leftovers? How does the song go? Bring all the leftovers to the master. Is that what it says? But sometimes that can be the case. Time and time and time and time again. Now sometimes people have nice things that the church could use and they give them to us. More often than not, members have tired things that they have no use for anymore and they say, Pastor, I want to donate this to the church. Now sometimes it's something we can use. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but I'm just wondering about the thinking process here. You know, I'm done using it. The, the best life has gone out of it. I'll donate to the church and I'll get me something nicer to replace it. Is that really how it should be? Or should it be flip-flopped? If anything, God should have the best. But oftentimes if we look at our homes versus 
what the church has. And I'm not trying to talk down to anybody. I'm talking to myself. And it's always been a bother to me that we'll, we'll invest in our own homes, and our own things, but we're willing to be content with a church that's a little bit, can I say, subpar in its facility? Anyway, but this poor widow, she gave all that she had, and God commends her. We have Mary Magdalene, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it may have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said to her, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Here's an example of a woman bringing her best. And yes, it could have been given to the poor. Jesus said the poor will always be among you in this story. And we need to look out for the poor. But here she's doing something to glorify her God, to glorify Jesus. And that is perhaps of even greater importance, isn't it? Because we can help the poor and they can still burn in hell. I mean, it's entirely possible. Or we can help the poor and also show them something incredible, the glory and goodness of God. Let her alone, Jesus said. Another question, can I use my tithe dollars to support church projects? We sort of talked about this already, but Exodus 35, 4 and 5, and Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of, there it is again, a willing heart. If you don't have a willing heart, I'm not talking to you anymore, Moses says. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onk stones and stones to be set in the ephod and on the breastplate. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of the meeting. For all its services and for the holy garments, they came, both men and women, as many as had, there it is again, a willing heart. In this chapter and the following, some seven times we have stated a willing heart, a willing heart, a willing heart. This is not a tax. In fact, we continue. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work, which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. So this is not a tax. This is not required. This is a free will offering. And so to support our schools, men's and women's ministries, evangelism, church building projects, electricity and maintenance, pathfinders, adventures, community service, and the list goes on and on and on. Those are funded by free will offerings. That's the way it was done in the Old Testament. Volume 9 of Testimonies 250. Let the work no longer be hedged up because the tithe has been diverted into various channels other than the one to which the Lord has said it would, should go, provision is to be made for the, these other lines of work. They are to be sustained, but what? Not from the tithe. God has not changed. The tithe is still to be used for the support of the ministry. Is it really about the money? Fair question. Mark 4, 18 and 19. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word... That's the word of God. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Why are riches deceitful? Because happiness will always just be at the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. 
and the desires of other things, stuff entered in and choke the word, and it becomes what? Unfruitful. This is truly the heart of the matter. And through tithes and offerings, Jesus wants to pry our grubby little hands off of our stuff. Because he realizes if we continue to cling to it, it will eventually, at some point, choke out the word of God. Choke out what he wants to do in our lives. Choke out happiness. Bring stress. Marital strife. The number one cause for divorce. Money. And Jesus says this is at the heart of this matter. But if you can surrender in this area, God says, I have a blessing for you. And it's not just financially, it's spiritually, it's in your marriage, it's in all kinds of, your stress level. And God, I believe, is pleading with us, let me bless you. Ellen White had a vision of a devil's workers meeting. It's not just pastors and teachers and various other ones that have workers meetings. The devil, I believe, has his own workers meetings. And she saw one of these workers meetings and she actually quotes the devil. Are you curious what the devil said in that workers meeting? says, go, make the possessors of lands and money drunk with the cares of this life. He's talking to his, his imps, his other evil angel, angels. Present the world before them in its most attractive light that they may lay up their treasure here and fix their affections upon earthly things. Go and do this. We must do our utmost to prevent those who labor in God's cause from obtaining means to use against us. Keep the money in our own ranks. The more means they obtain, the more they will injure our kingdom by taking from us our subjects. And then it says, continuing on, make them care more for money than for the upholding of Christ's kingdom and the spread of the truth we hate and we need not fear their influence. For we know that every selfish, covetous person will fall under our power and will finally be separated from God's people. That's what the devil's saying in his workers' meeting. Go out. If you can get him to latch on to this world and stuff and things and think, I have to have it. You go on a mission trip, you find out real quick how much stuff you don't have to have. But the problem is we live in a culture that's so saturated with stuff that we get brainwashed into thinking, I got to have it, I got to have it, I got to have it. No, you don't. Steps to Christ, the love of money, the desire for wealth is the golden chain that binds them to Satan. It doesn't say that money is the problem, it's the love of money, the golden chain. Some of you may have been asking, do we really need this capital campaign? Is this something that we really need to be about? I find this interesting in Haggai chapter 1 and 2. It's one of the shortest Old Testament books, only a couple chapters. You could read it this afternoon. But the Lord sends a message to his prophets and the leaders that we need to, to revamp the temple, rebuild the temple. It's, it's, it's sad in sad condition. But it says that here, the people say, this people says, the time has not come that the, to, the time that the Lord's house should be built. We don't need to do this. This is not a priority that people are saying. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now, this is the, the word of the Lord through Haggai saying, I've seen your homes. They're awfully nice. But let's think about this. Is this okay to allow God's house to lie in ruins while your house is so nice? Now, therefore, says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And it would be right for all of us to consider our ways. You have sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. 
You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Now, granted, we have a beautiful sanctuary. We have a beautiful church. It's not lying in ruins. And we do the very best that we can to upkeep and maintain based on your giving. So I don't want you to think I'm trying to make a parallel that this place is just in shambles. But I do think there's still things for us to consider. For one, how many of you were here? I know some of you were when this church was built. Okay, a few of you. And I would imagine that you were asked to give for this building and this facility. Now, how many of you came after this church was built and were never asked to give to this building or facility? That's probably most of us, right? I know that I I fall in that category. I haven't paid anything for, for any of the materials to put this building up or up on the hill or, you know, on and on. But I've been standing on the shoulders of others, right, who gave sacrificially so that we could be here, that we could worship in this place. We don't have to check the weather and say, oh, I wonder how worship is going to go today. But we're standing on the shoulders of others that have given and sacrificed before us. Maybe it's time for us to pay it forward. Maybe those are some things we need to consider. Continuing on, Haggai chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruits. For I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, the old, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on the labor of your hands. But here there's a turn. So the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of of the Lord their God. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God. It says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. And then concluding, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. You know, I've talked to many people within this church that have given to various causes. And they say, every time I give, it gets replaced. And so I give again and it gets replaced through various methods, through various means. You know, I know when we started this capital campaign, the the push... was that you take your tithe from the previous year and you make a, a, a commitment to return that in offering. You're going to continue to pay your tithe or return tithe and, and church budget or whatever you're doing. But above your normal giving, you are going to take tithe and over either one, two, or three years, you were going to try and return that for this capital fund. And if we all did that collectively, we'd be done. Now, some of you here, you were just so excited. You plunked it down all in one go. You said, here it is. Take it. And so I don't want you to feel like I'm coming back asking for more. You've done your part, and I appreciate that very much. If the Lord lays something on your heart, so be it. But you have already done a great job in doing that. But I know for us, we didn't really have that option. So we said, okay, well, we will divide this up over three years. We did the math. We figured out what it would be. It's similar to a car payment. We don't have car payments. Uh, on purpose, 
but that's okay. So I'm not going to ask the church to do something that we're unwilling to do, and so we're going to do this. That's what Elizabeth and I decided to do. Weren't sure exactly how it was going to work. This was more money taken out every month that we didn't really necessarily feel like we had. But I want to tell you from my own personal testimony, every month the Lord continues to bless us in ways that are measurable. And I'll, I'll have to tell Elizabeth, look what the Lord did again this week. Look what he did this month. I mean, I, I cannot list off all the ways. You know, the car's in the shop. This is the bill. And then this comes through uh, kind of randomly. Is it random? I don't think so. And everything just evens out again. And it happens month after month after month. And I see God saying, it's not about the money. I don't need the money. I need your faith and trust in me to just recognize that I can supply your need. And we have seen that over and over and over. One of the dreams that Elizabeth always had, and Elizabeth's a dreamer, and there's nothing wrong with dreaming, but when there's a dreamer around, somebody has to be realistic. <laughs> in heaven, she describes she's going to be on the beach, in the mountains, on a lake, with horses, and you know, it's like everything all combined together. I don't know how God's going to do it, but that's up to him. She's a dreamer. So one of her dreams was, you know, she grew up in Africa the first nine years of her life. It holds a special place in her heart. She says, someday we've got to take our kids to Africa. And I said, okay. I said that for quite a while. Okay, I've learned not to say, no, we can't do that. It's just, okay. And we even had some people here presenting for Maranatha. This has been years ago. And they said, and Elizabeth said, we'd love to go to Africa on one of your trips and this and this and this. Yeah, that'll be fun. We try, we'll try and organize something. We'll let you know we're going to be there in a few years or whatever it was. Elizabeth's all excited. And I'm thinking, well, time that the trip actually came, they wanted me to lead out in the spiritual part. You don't need to know necessarily all these details. But I was doing the math. They said, can you come? Can your family come? And so we were trying to figure out all these different ways with, with frequent flyer miles or with this or with that. Is it even possible? And it came back so loud and clear. Not possible. I mean, not even just a little bit not possible, like way not possible. Do you know what way not possible means? And so <clears throat> I was going to call the guy back, David Lopez at Maranatha, and say, I'm sorry, we've, we've been praying about this. We've been looking at it from every angle that we can. It's just not possible for us to go. You're going to have to find somebody else. And the Lord opened up something within the course of one phone call, our whole trip to Africa for the whole family. We went. I was bewildered. I couldn't make sense of it. It was like, wow, 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 wow. And I go and I tell Elizabeth. And she's all giddy and all excited. And she's like, good, I knew we'd go to Africa. <laughs> and this is all in the midst of giving to a greater percentage of our income to this capital campaign. And the Lord says, I'm just going to keep blessing you. And you might say, man, this sermon, it sounds like he downloaded off the internet from Joel Olstein or something. I'm just telling you my own experience. Can I do that? There's no way that we could have funded that. But God said, you know what? Money is no object to me. I'm going to take care of it. Here you go. And so we got to go, and it was a wonderful experience. Here's the, the old kitchen. Anyway, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, here's a verse, 1 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, this verse has, has really haunted me for a long time. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I mean, in my mind, okay, there's the 10%, and we'll give this percentage to church budget, and this percentage to other things, but then this verse keeps coming back, and excel in this grace of giving, excel in giving, excel in giving. Well, I'm already giving. No, more, 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 more. I mean, do you ever get annoyed at people that just keep asking for more, more, more? But God says, no, I want you to excel. And so then with this capital campaign, because I got ahead of myself, this was our opportunity to excel, and we said, okay, we stepped out in faith, and the Lord is blessed. Um, here we are all in Africa. Here's James giving high fives. 
than just even two weeks ago or the la- within the last two weeks. James needs a lot of treatments that we get frustrated because the insurance, they've never virtually heard of Alexander disease, and so they just deny everything and they reject everything, and insurance doesn't cover it. Anybody here ever had that experience? Denied, denied, denied. Elizabeth got uh, RA. We wanted to go see Dr. Nedley, and, and he's not covered, and so deny, deny, deny. And then he has all these supplements and this and that, deny, deny, deny. And we just felt like it was the best thing to do, so we're just going to keep doing these treatments and do what we can for James and all the rest and just recognizing that the Lord will have to provide. And you see some of your financial goals not being met. You want to put so much away for savings each month and all these things, and month after month, it's just getting eaten up by something else. Until finally, at the conference office, they said, we've heard that some of these things are being rejected. Why don't you get us receipts of all of those things? Okay, I send receipts of all those things. And somebody approves, and they say, yes, we're going to cover this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And so within the last two weeks, we get this check good-sized check of all of these other things, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so I found myself driving in the car, and I was singing this song, awesome, magnificent, all-sufficient God, and I was just crying. I just couldn't even sing the, I was just mouthing the words half the time. Every time I got to that chorus, awesome, magnificent, all-sufficient God, is he that to you? Because he wants to be that for you. He is all-sufficient. He is awesome. He is magnificent. And he just wants our hearts. He just wants us to trust him. And then we'll be on this roller coaster, incredible ride that we've never been on before as we see him open doors that we would have never been able to do for ourselves and do things we could never do for ourselves and excel the business in ways we couldn't do for ourselves. And it goes on and on and on and on. And throughout scripture, God is saying, I own all this stuff. I orchestrate all this stuff. This is so easy for me. I just need you to trust me. That's what he's saying. And so it's not about money. It's about faith. It's virtually what it says on those dollar bills. In God we trust. Do we trust him? And if not, he says, don't bother. If you're not willing, don't bother. What, giving again? I asked in dismay. And I must keep giving and giving away? Oh no, said the angel, piercing me through. Just give till the master stops giving to you. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what ways have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. Test me, he says, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. You're going to have to give even more. You're going to have to excel in your giving because I'm going to keep blessing you. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Do you want God to rebuke the devourer for your sake? I do. So he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Dear Lord, we want to give thanks to you through our offerings. We want to return what is honestly yours and a faithful tithe. Lord, you have given all for us. You have come here onto this earth and have died in our place that we could live with you for eternity. But somehow we get this backwards idea that we have given enough. But Lord, if we ever give too much, you are so gracious to always give it back in blessings over and over and over again. So Lord, I pray that we will trust you and that we will give back with a grateful heart. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio 
and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.